I want to welcome all of you guys, except if you're a protester. There's not even protesters here, are they? As y'all see, at Joel Olstein's church, they had protesters stand up, start taking their clothes off. Nobody wants to see that, okay? So today, uh, I want to talk to you about the end times between now and then. The end times between now and then. Um, we have, we're finishing up a five-hour sermon. You remember at the beginning of this, and all of y'all gave me a thumbs up. I remember. At the beginning of this, I said, I'm going to start a conversation. We're not going to end it for several weeks. In order for you to get the full picture, you need to listen to all of it from cover to cover. And I know that's been challenging uh, for all of us. And I'm glad we're finishing up Mark 13 today. Uh, but I think regardless of what you believe about the end times, whether the end times happens tomorrow or the end times happens 10,000 years from now, I think we all need a plan of what to do between now and then. And that's what today is about. Um, we have not all agreed on the things that I've talked about, which is totally, absolutely, 100% fine. It, you have every right to be wrong, so it's, it's fine. Um, but no, this is, this is a topic that we've been discussing over the last several weeks that is a non-essential topic. This is not a salvation issue at all. And so this is one of those things we can agree to disagree on. Uh, one of our mantras is that in essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in everything, love. And so that's kind of who we are, and that's what we're about. Amen. But I do believe that the unfolding of history will affect your behavior in the course of history. And so um, over, over today, um, I think we want to finish on something we can all agree on. And so that's what today is about. And I believe we can all agree on that we would like to see the world changed. Amen? Amen. We can all agree on that. Now, here's the thing about change. Uh, ch change takes a lot of hard work over an extended period of time. You get that, right? Uh, here's a picture of an advertisement uh, for hydro. What is it? What is this called? Hydroxycut. There it is. Now, maybe some of you guys have taken this. Now, they had women pictures of, the, of this same thing, but I didn't want anybody lusting, so ladies don't lust after this man, okay? Not a problem, someone says. But he says, I lost 33 and a half pounds in 12 weeks by taking hydroxycut. Now, let me explain something to you. Fake news, right? He didn't just take a supplement, and all of a sudden, he went from slob to six-pack. That didn't happen. Whole lot of work, whole lot of eating uh, broccoli, and rice and chicken and your life being miserable, okay? It was a lot of work and it took a long period of time. In the same way, it will take dedication and consistency in order for us to change our world. Dedication and stubborn consistency. So let's all stand together for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 32. Jesus says this, now concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch out, be alert, for you do not know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or in the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Today, we will be reminded of the slow and steady process by which God will use to effect change in our city. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this place. This is a sanctuary. 
we're in a gym, but Lord, this is a sanctuary. Because we're surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've come to you, we're calling out your name, and we're asking you to be with us, Lord. We know you're here. Thank you. Thank you that we're safe and secure, we're protected, and we're provided for in this place and among this body. Thank you for the support that we have from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you, Lord, for the empowerment that we have from Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. And I pray today that you'll come and you'll visit with us in a very real and tangible way. Lord, I pray that I will decrease today so that you might increase. Lord, I pray that uh, everybody that listens to this message uh, will hear your words, Lord, and not mine. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray for those around you. Pray for those that may be watching online. Pray for the ones that you know that are struggling with sin or sickness or despair, financial trouble, marital difficulty. Lift them up. I'd ask this morning you pray for me today. Just that the Lord will put a hedge and strengthen me. pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus says, now concerning the day or hour, no one knows. No one knows. Um, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. I presented to you a very old interpretation of the quote-unquote end times um, it's been difficult on many of you, and I understand why, because it's kind of a cosmic shift in the way that you've been taught to think about it, and we don't all agree, and that's fine. At the very least, we have to agree that a preoccupation with end times prophecy is at the very least problematic. An unhealthy obsession with end times prophecy is at the very least problematic. Here's a picture of David Koresh. Do you guys remember David Koresh? Uh, David Koresh, he started off just as a normal Christian guy. I think he was baptized in the Southern Baptist Church, and he got involved in some different churches along the way. And somewhere along the way, he got obsessed with the end times. That's where all of this started. Uh, he, he started studying in depth the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And over time, after he spent more and more time in it, set under more and more teaching, he declared himself to be a prophet over time. And he gathered around him a group of people that also believed he was a prophet, a special messenger of God for the end of the world. And so these people, uh, under his supervision, they sold their possessions, they quit their jobs, dozens and dozens of people, they moved to right around Waco, Texas, and they lived in a commune compound until the FBI raided the compound for all sorts of crimes that were taking place there and many of these people lost their lives in a shootout in a fire. Because of the obsession with end times prophecies, Christians throughout the years have been disillusioned, become destitute, end up in despair, and some of them have even died because of an unhealthy obsession with thinking about the end times. What does Jesus say about it? He says, no one knows. There's not a person on this planet can give you details about when 
the end times will happen or exactly how it's all going to play out. Isn't that what Jesus says in this passage? Now concerning the day or hour, no one knows. Now you go up a level to, to a, a group of uh, beings that you would think they've got a, a, a better perspective on this, so I'm sure they know. But what does Jesus say about them? Even the angels don't know. And then he goes up another level to the highest level of authority. He says, even the son doesn't know. Now let's pause there. That should strike you, right? Because God knows everything, right? And Jesus is God. So shouldn't Jesus know everything? What's going on here? In Jesus' incarnation, he became fully God and fully man. It's what theologians call the hypostatic union. Two natures existing equally in one person. And so during his time on this earth, Jesus set aside all of his divine privileges. He pressed pause on his omnipresence. So he could no longer be in all places at all times. While he walked on this planet, he walked from point A to point B, just like you and I. He pressed pause on his omnipotence. And so Jesus, during his ministry, there were times that he got tired. There were times that he got hungry. He also pressed pause on his omniscience. He didn't access all the knowledge that he could have. He only tapped into his divine attributes when the Father gave him permission. And so in other words, Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself so he could identify with our weakness. He humbled himself so he can demonstrate for us this is what the model human looks like. This is what living in faith looks like. He humbled himself so he could glorify God the Father and make a way for us to be right with God forever. So if the perfect man, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, came to terms with not knowing how arrogant of us to assume that God should give us the details. How foolish of us to believe that God would give any other human being special insight into these matters. The truth of the matter is Jesus doesn't want his people preoccupied with the timing of anything. Let me say that again. We're not just talking about the end times. Jesus doesn't want his people preoccupied with the timing of any time. The timing of your job, the timing of your love life, the timing of your kids, the timing of your health, the timing of your finances, the timings of uh, the politics in your country, the timings of your, your vindication. God wants us to live in a place of tension. A tension of not knowing and confident living. A tension of not knowing and still walking by faith. Whether victory and deliverance comes next week or 10,000 years from now, let us wait faithfully upon the Lord. That's what he wants. No one knows, and that's okay. We don't have to know. Look at verse 33. Watch. Be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. You see, not knowing is no excuse. Too often, a preoccupation with end-time thinkings, it encourages people to withdraw and to be apathetic. Consciously or subconsciously. You know, people that are Christians, they'll say, well, in, in their mind, or, or maybe just kind of deep down in their heart, they've got this mentality of who cares what happens on Main Street? Who cares what happens on Capitol Hill? Who, hap who cares what happens in the school board? Who cares what happens on my street? The world is gonna end soon. Consciously or subconsciously, many Christians avoid doing the hard work to make things better. They don't start that business that could bless their community. They don't run for office and try and make a change in politics. They don't speak up 
against all the lies that are happening in our culture. They don't attempt to affect change in the city or the school or the marketplace or the culture. And like, in many ways, like David Koresh's followers who dropped out of school and quit their jobs and sold their houses and moved into compounds, many Christians today say, I'm just going to mind my business. I'm going to stay out of it. I'm going to wait here in my comfort zone until Jesus comes back. On Jesus' last day on earth, he met with his closest followers. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus came near and said to them, this is the last thing Jesus said while he was on earth. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Jesus says, I am the king of kings. I am sitting on the throne right now. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and watch Netflix and play Wordle and play golf and scroll on social media. Is that what it says? All authority has been given to me, so go and build a fallout bunker and wait until I come back. Is that what he says? Go and join a holy huddle and never engage the culture. Is that what he says? Go, hurry up and wait. Just kick back. Just kill time until I come back. Is that what he says? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have committed. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus say? He says, all authority has been given to me. I am the king. You are my servants. This is your marching orders. Go, evangelize, disciple the nations. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the age. Jesus gave us his marching orders. As a Christian, our primary mission, listen to me, is to Christianize the world. That's our primary mission, to Christianize the world. And you say, well, that can't be done. Okay, but isn't that what Jesus has asked us to try to do? That should be our goal. After giving the Great Commission, Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven. The clouds opened up, and Jesus disappeared into the clouds, which would be a great closing scene to the Chosen series. You guys watching the Chosen series? I heard it's really good. I haven't watched any of them yet, but soon I will, I will get into it. Um, so that would be a great closing scene. But if, if the Chosen series were to continue on after that, this is what you would see. Uh, in the scene right after Jesus ascending, you would see all the disciples on a hill looking to the clouds. For an uncomfortable amount of time. Just, they thought he was coming right back. That's what they thought was going to happen. So they're just looking up. And then an angel appeared. Acts chapter 1, verse 11, two angels. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? As if to say to them, why are you still here? Don't you have work to do? Jesus doesn't want us withdrawn. Jesus wants us watchful. Jesus doesn't want us apathetic. Jesus wants us alert. Not knowing is no excuse for not working. Mark chapter 13, verse 34. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Jesus says when Christians think about our work in this world, we should think about a master who went away and left his servants in charge. Jesus came. Jesus Christ has given you the authority to do the work. You come as a Christian in the name of the Lord. You're not operating under your own will or your own 
uh, intellect or your own strength. Hopefully, you are operating in the name of the Lord according to the scriptures. And so when people ask you, as you're trying to affect change in this world, when people ask you, who do you think you are? This is what you can say, rightfully so. I am a royal ambassador of the king of glory, the Lord of all creation. That's who I am. I have every right to affect change on this world because Jesus has left his house to us. This world belongs to him, and he has left it in, a, in our care, and he's given us a scope of work. He's given us a sphere of influence, and the master has said to us, you're in charge of this part of the kingdom. It's your job to bring this part of the kingdom that I have entrusted to you to bring it into submission to my will and my way for God's glory, for your good. And so this is what we need to understand. God has given you a responsibility. He's given you a sphere of influence in which you're supposed to affect change. And that sphere of influence, it begins first and foremost right here, right inside of you. Jesus suggests that our mission should begin in our closest area of influence. In another passage where he tells them to go and evangelize the nations, he says, start in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It starts right here. There's a guy that I like to read. His name's Jordan Peterson, and he says this. If you want to change the world, start by cleaning your room. That's good advice. If you want to change the world, start, start with yourself and work outward. So you got to start. If you want to affect change in this world, you got to start by cleaning out all the skeletons in your closet. You got to start by not just sweeping the dirt under the rug in your life. You got to start by getting the log out of your eye before you go and you inspect the speck in somebody else's eye. Urgently, intentionally pursue personal Christ likeness. If we're going to change the world, it starts right here. Amen? Here's the next thing uh, as you grow, you'll be ready to affect change and lead in other areas. God has given you a marriage to cultivate. That's another sphere of influence that we can affect change, which is going to change the world. Husbands and wives don't follow the pattern of this world that throws marriage out the window willy-nilly, that has no respect for husbands, has no love for wives. Don't follow the pattern of this world. Have a marriage marked by love and respect, service and submission. Your relationship with each other is the clearest representation of Christ's love for the church and the church's faith in Christ. God has given you a family to protect and provide for. Fathers and mothers and grandparents. One of the greatest ways you can affect change in this world is to disciple your children and your grandchildren. Guard their hearts and minds. Train them in the ways of the Lord. Because the truth of the matter is, if you don't disciple your children, the world will indoctrinate them. The godless world we are living in, it promotes an anti-life culture of death. We don't see it that way, but it's true. And this anti-life culture of death is unsustainable. Secularists, non-believing people, they don't have replacement level children. In order for the population to continue, each, each couple has to have 2.1 children. Okay, That's the math on it. People that don't believe in God, they have less than that. Um, sexually promiscuous world that we live in, they are perpetually ripping babies out of their wombs. It's an anti-life culture of death. Gender-confused people are, ca are castrating and sterilizing themselves. And so the only way that the anti-life culture of death can survive 
listen to me, is by stealing your children. You understand that? That's the only way that this anti-life culture of death that I believe is influenced by demons from hell, it's the only way that they can survive. Here's a screenshot of a video. I won't play the video for you. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's entitled, We're Coming for Your Children. You should, you should check this video out. It's all about LGBTQ plus radical agenda that have uh, this obsession with indoctrinating your kids. Does it make sense now why radical progressives are so obsessed to get drag queens in the schools? Does it make sense now why they're so, they're so intent on getting drag queens in front of children at, pre, at preschools and daycares and in libraries? Does it make sense? Does it make sense now why an agenda that can't reproduce uses an image that appeals to children as their national symbol, a rainbow? Does that make sense to you now? They are coming for our kids. And it's the only way that culture of death can survive. And so we should say as Christians, over my dead body. Amen? Amen? Over my dead body. Let us go to extreme measures in order to protect our children from demonic ideologies. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? You should pluck it out. Let's go to extreme measures to protect our children from this demonic ideology. If the public school begins to indoctrinate your kids, pull them out. If the cheer squad is a bad influence on your kids, pull them out. If video games are dark and demonic, pull them out of your kid's life. If social media is wrecking your child's mind, pull it out. What good is it for your, game, your kid to be the star athlete, to be the prom king or queen, to be the socialite of all of Winchester and lose their soul? What good is it? I don't care if my kids are cool. That's the least of my concerns. I want my kids to grow up loving and following Jesus. That's the most important thing to me. So friends, it's not enough that we just protect our kids. We also have to train our kids. You are passing down a culture to your children, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And so if you don't prioritize prayer and Bible study and church involvement in your family, if that isn't part of the rhythm of your life, you're creating a culture of education or a culture of sports or a culture of consumerism or a culture of politics, but you won't be raising Christian kids. Sunday morning worship should be non-negotiable. Prayer and Bible study in your home should be routine. Spiritual, theological, godly conversations should be commonplace in your home. Sin should not be tolerated or marginalized in your family or, or minimized in your family. Believe and live out this promise that God gave us. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Live that promise out. And understand this, raising and discipling your family to love and follow Jesus is the most effective assault that you can have against evil powers and principalities that oppress this world. Make it a priority. God has given you your own personal life. He's given you a marriage. He's given you a family. And he's also given you a church to invest in. If we're going to fully live out the calling, we need each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
truth of the matter is, and all you guys know this, I get blasted on social media. This week has been a brutal one for me. Uh, and most of the time, I take it pretty good. I, I'm beat up today, I will tell you. I feel, I feel surrounded by people that just want my throat. And it can get overwhelming. It can get overwhelming. Most of the time, I do pretty good. Uh, but more and more, I need your support. I need your prayers. I need you to have my back. I need to know that I'm not alone. And I'm not asking you to get on there and you know, defend me on social media. And some of you guys do, and I appreciate that. Uh, but just prayerfully knowing that, hey, these people got my back. That means a lot to me. And the truth of the matter is, right now they're coming for me because I'm putting my head out there, but eventually coming for all of us. There's no such thing as neutral in the world we're living in. And so if we're going to get through this next season, and it's going to get harder before it gets better, if we're going to get through it, we need each other. We need each other. I, I don't have to defend myself, thank God, because I got a church family that'll do that for me. I'm rolling deep. I got all sorts of bodyguards, and many of them are really big. So I'm good. I'm good. And I don't need affirmation from deceived people because I'm fully known and I'm fully accepted by God. Uh, and I'm loved and I'm supported by my church family. And so that helps me. And that's empowerment. Wouldn't it be empowerment if you didn't have to worry about losing your job for your faith because you knew that businessmen in this church would have your back and have you another job? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be empowering? Wouldn't it be empowering if you didn't have to worry about losing your health insurance because of your faith, because the church had an option for you, or there was a group of people in this church that had an option for you where you could have health insurance? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be empowering if, if you didn't have to worry about raising uh, how your kids are going to get educated because the church is going to give you resources in order to get your kids educated in a good way? Wouldn't that be empowering? Wouldn't it be empowering if you didn't have to worry about losing friends because you have a church family now? Wouldn't that be empowering? In order for us to get there, we need more leaders. The Bible says that if you manage your household well, then you're ready to lead in the church. We need competent men and women to assume responsibility for the flourishing of this church. Dave and I, Gerald, we can't do it alone. We need as many of you that are willing to invest in order to do your part and make this place a place that's full of life, a place that you and your family love to be a part of. Do your part to make this place a garden oasis so that the lost people of this world who are out in the desert wandering around totally lost, they can come into this place and be refreshed in their soul. Do your part to make this a center of discipleship so that the next generation of godly leaders is equipped fully to do the work of the Lord. And once we have put our life in order, put our house in order, put our church in order, we're ready to truly put the city in order, which is going to be a battle. You know that. And uh, the hypocritical life is a, is a chink in your armor. A failing marriage is a chink in your armor. A dysfunctional nuclear family is a chink in your armor. A divided church is a chink in your armor. And you best believe that when you're in a battle, the enemy is going to attack your weak spots. But if your life and your family and your church is in order, what do they have to attack? What do they have to accuse you with? Nothing. At that point, they're forced to deal with the sword of the Spirit that cuts straight to the heart, that convicts the soul to surrender to Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus says this in Mark chapter 13, verse 34. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you asleep. This city belongs to Jesus Christ. God has left it in your hands as a Christian, as his servant, to put this place in order in agreement with his will, for his glory, for the good of the people of the city. 
We don't know when he's going to return. It could be at twilight. It could be at midnight. It could be at the bottom crack of dawn. We don't know. But when he comes back, don't find, don't let him find you sleeping. What happens to the worker that gets caught sleeping on the job? What happens? It's not a good thing for that worker, is it? Don't let him find you withdrawn. Be watchful. Don't let him find you apathetic. Be alert. Look for opportunities to grow your faith, to disciple your children, to bless the church, and to preach the gospel. And be urgent in taking advantage of those opportunities because we don't know how long the day is. We don't know when he's going to come back. Make sure he finds you working because when the trumpet sounds and those clouds open up and we see Christ in all his glory, not one of you will be motivated to look over at me and say, Jeff, see, I told you, you were wrong about the Left Behind series. I told you. Nobody's going to be talking about doctrinal positions or theological or eschatological positions. Nobody's going to do that. When we see Christ in his glory, we are either going to be excited for our reward or we are going to be regretting our complacency. Whatever you believe about the unfolding of history, Jesus says, it's time for you to get to work. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Jesus isn't shy about this message. He tells everybody because it's going to affect everybody. There is no doubt about it. You see, not knowing is not uncertainty. Just because we don't know when or exactly how God will work all this out does not mean the outcome is in doubt. Jesus, the penniless, homeless preacher from the backwoods of Galilee, he stood on this hill overlooking the temple, and he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's a bold claim for a guy that doesn't have much money and only has about 12 followers. That's a bold claim, isn't it? But here we are, Rome, come and go. French Empire, come and go. British Empire, come and go. Nazi Germany, come and go. Uh, USSR, come and go. America, coming, come and going, maybe. But here we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus Christ is still the most influential man who's ever lived, and it's not even close. The outcome's not in doubt. It's not in doubt. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And isn't history proven that? That time and time again, when godless leaders and tyrants came against the people of God, what happened? Even though the more they were persecuted, the more blood was shed, the more the church flourished, the more the church grew. Right now in China, there's all sorts of persecution against the church, and churches are going underground. Guess what? There is a huge revival happening in China right now as we speak. It was said that the blood of the martyrs became the seeds of the church. There's a revival going on in our world today. And more and more, as we're persecuted, as as the world tries to push us down, the church of God will grow and grow in influence and in effectiveness. It will. The outcome's not in doubt. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and following, Jesus presented another parable to them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It starts off small. It starts off insignificant. It's just a seed of faith planted in a person's soul, but it grows into a beautiful, changed life. 
And then it grows to bless a family. And then it grows to build a church. And then it grows to become the most prominent feature in an entire community so that all the people, tribes, tongues, and nation come and rest in the branches of this beautiful thing that started off so small but has grown and grown in influence that it's blessing everybody. Friends, I'm not asking you to view the end times the way that I do, but will you please believe with me God's promises? That prayer changes things. Will you believe that? Will you believe with me that the gospel is the power of God? Will you believe with me that? Will you believe with me that God is mighty to save? Will you believe with me that? Will you believe with me what is impossible with man is possible with God? Will you believe with that me? That the church is an unstoppable force for good? Will you believe that? Will you believe that Christ has conquered the world and so we can have peace? Will you believe that? It isn't complicated. Through our steadfast faithfulness over a long period of time in personal devotion and family discipleship and church involvement and in gospel preaching by the power of God, we can change Winchester. I want you to think about something because you don't believe me. I know. I want you to think about something. 50 years ago, America was an unquestionable Christian nation. Christianity was the assumption of every single citizen in America. Whether or not they were a believer, whether or not they went to church, it was obvious that America was Christian. You remember, some of you, because there was nothing open on the Lord's Day. You remember that? They didn't have ball practice on Wednesday nights. It's church night. That was church day. Christianity was the assumed world religion. Prayer and Ten Commandments in the courthouse and in the school. You remember that? Divorce was unheard of. Sin was a scandal. TV was wholesome. We could go on and on and on. Christianity was the dominant force in our society. On D-Day, the storming of Normandy, World War II, the President of the United States, June 6, 1942, he got on national radio and he led the nation in prayer. This is how much of a Christian nation we were. I want to read to you some of this prayer. He says, Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, and steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessing. Their road will be long and hard, for the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by thy righteousness, our cause, our sons will triumph. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them. Help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves to a renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. That's the nation we used to be. But over the, the 50 years since then, the church and its people have not been watchful. We were not alert we were complacent, we capitulated, we compromised turn after turn, inch after inch, and in 50 years, the whole of Western civilization has been conquered from the inside out. To the point now that each and every one of us must bow down to a flag for a whole month 
in June, all lining down our main street. We've been conquered. The movement has overtaken our main streets, our politics, our corporations, our school systems, our entertainment, even Christian denominations. Many of you can't go to work and not see something about this radical agenda that's being crammed down our throats. For the next month, you will be forced to endure it and put up with it. Now, here, here's my point. If de depraved and demoniac ideologies can become the most dominant force in our society over the course of 50 years using lies and bullying, what can Christ's church, full of grace and truth, empowered by the word of God and the Holy Spirit, what can we do in 50 years to this city using the word of God and the love of Christ? What can we do? Let's make it our goal that sin become a scandal in our city once again. Let's make it our goal that Sunday become sacred in our city once again. Let's make it a goal that the Bible be respected in our city once again. Let's make it our goal that Christian flags be lining Main Street once again. Let's make it our goal that the Bible be boldly featured in every school, every courthouse, every business. Even though the world looks like it's been conquered by evil forces, let me assure you, do not be deceived. Do not be alarmed. We are not a conquered people. Jesus Christ still sits on the throne. We are living in his world, and he is working all things out for the good of those who love him. And one day he will come back to bring judgment on the wicked, to reward the righteous, and on or by that day, everything will be as it should be, and nothing could be better. Between now and then, work as urgently as if he were coming back tonight. Work as thoughtfully as if he were coming back 10,000 years from now. Work as peacefully as if it all depends on him, but work at it as persistently as if it all depends on you. But whatever you do, work. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that we're inspired today. There's a lot on the line, the soul of our city, the future for our children, and Lord, I pray that we'll take this call seriously, that all of us will do our part to make this city a city that completely surrenders to your will and your way, that Christianity become the dominant force, at least in Winchester and Clark County, and we pray Kentucky, and we pray the United States, and we pray the world, Lord, that it happen in our lifetime. We can't do it, but there's nothing you can't do. And so, Lord, we give this to you. We are your vessels. Empower us to do what makes you proud. Empower us to do what you've called us to. And, Lord, between now and then, give us peace. Fill us with hope and strength and joy. Help us to sing joyfully, Lord, as we march to battle because we know that the victory is yours and the victory is not in doubt. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'd encourage you today, just pray. Pray this prayer. Lord, what's my part to play in making this the world that you want it to be? Pray that prayer. And pray that the Lord will embolden you to live that out. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy burden, I've got great news for you. If Jesus conquered death, there's nothing he can't conquer. So whatever it is you're struggling with, come and kneel at this altar and let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you're here today and you're far from Christ, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about your next steps. There's forgiveness available in Jesus' name. Whatever your sin is, no matter how deceived, demented, depraved you've been, where sin abounds, the Bible says grace abounds even more. And so if you're here today and you feel like you're a lost cause, there's no way that God can forgive me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
Come and talk to me. Let me pray with you. As we sing this song, come.